We're going to write a political RPG about Confederate agents sabotaging Reconstruction to prevent the resurgence of the South. We will redeem Boss Tweed. 50 years from now, someone will be writing this about Trump. Live from the Mundangerous Stacks in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 104 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're leaping through dusty old tomes and Wikipedia to find inspiration for our games. But first the rogue traders deal with warpy nonsense in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, Blackbeard has a surprisingly brief career in the Character Creation Forge. So I just want to announce uh, for everybody the final part of the annotated history of Brantalandra Part 5 is available on our Patreon feed at www.patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. Um, that is the collection of emails and G-chats and conversations that Ishan and I had when building Brantalandro, my character from the Morning Glory campaign in Eberron. Yeah, this is when Shane is trying to decide exactly how Brand feels about the Silver Flame, uh, what he's going to do about it, and generally planning for the end of the campaign. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first three parts are still available on Tribality. Thank you to Sean Ellsworth for posting those for us. Uh, Parts four and now five up on Patreon. Uh, Please note those are available for anybody, not just patrons. And then Gen Con is just a few short weeks away. So uh, if you are planning to be there, uh, one place I know I will be is at a podcasting panel hosted by the RPG Academy, Friday at 9 p.m. Yeah, so Shane, this is Introduction to RPG Podcasting. Um, Why are you trying to create more competitors for us? Oh, no, I'm going to sandbag it with bad advice. Oh, that's a good idea. And then I'll ask questions. Right, like, you'll ask leading questions <laughs> with which I can poison the well and ensure that there are no competitors. Shane, how difficult is getting into podcasting? Ishan, it is the worst. <laughs> First of all, you need thousands of dollars of equipment, hours of time, and good ideas. Good sir, do people like you when you're a podcaster? No one likes you when you're a podcaster. No one wants to hear about your podcast and no one wants to talk about it. It is literally punishment. I think I shall donate to your Patreon, but not get involved. Great idea. You should do that (laughs) twice. There you go. You don't even have to go now. Yeah. You're welcome. Right. (laughs) Um, I I don't know. We've talked about trying to record it, but it might just be too technically challenging, uh, given the short setup time and the dynamics of the room. So we'll consider, uh, we'll try to and and post a link to it if it is, um, if you won't be at Gen Con. But if you are, uh, it's a great place to find me and say hello. Uh, and there's a link in the show notes to the actual event at Gen Con, so you don't have to go searching for a bunch of numbers. So speaking of a bunch of numbers, Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our rogue trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And you are uh, facing a bunch of numbers on the feudal world of Gauntlegrim which is in the midst of a war against orcs. Uh, they're losing it. They're losing that war. Uh, the Gauntlegrimmers are, yes, for sure. Yeah. But fortunately, they have the crew of the His Enduring Light to help them out. Who has been uh, forced to help out. Uh, they 
we have just retrieved a large uh, drop pod, ostensibly filled with las guns, but actually filled with orcs and las guns, <laughs> but more importantly with orcs. Yeah, you uh, you uh, winched up that drop pod and flew it back behind Imperial lines, and then uh, sent in some of the Gontogram Planetary Defense Force, their sort of militia troops, mm-hmm. to pop the can open. They immediately died as uh, orcs exploded out of it like uh, biscuit dough. Yep, that's yeah, that's actually yeah. <laughs> I don't think we've used that illusion before, but I think that's probably accurate. Adding it to the list, <laughs> and then battle was met. We did an okay job. Uh, Draco and Trank were in the gun cutter and shooting the giant orc knob, which is actually like a bigger batter orc and not probably what you're thinking of yeah kind of the uh orc sergeant if you will yeah the Uh, sergeant yeah (laughs) uh while the rest of the party engaged in melee unfortunately our psyker flare had some difficulties yeah so part of the warhammer 40k games is when you're a psyker you can potentially roll on a table called psychic phenomenon uh i believe it's called psycher bull yeah it's that's basically what it is uh and they can have a variety of impacts sometimes they're um small and descriptive and other times they're game-changing and destructive but in flair's case they're almost always uh bad for the party uh, yeah, as he fought in melee and attempted to use a psychic power, he rolled poorly and adopted a demonic visage, which didn't have much of an effect on the orcs, but certainly scared the PDF. Yeah, so your PDF allies immediately broke ranks and fled with without their morale, uh, taking with them their commissar, who was seeking to kind of reform them, regroup them, and get them back in the fight. So immediately you're down one of your heroes and lots of your cannon fodder. Shortly thereafter, he screws up another roll, and a stone inside uh, our seneschal tricks his pocket begins to ooze blood. Yeah, well, casual. I mean, that's what stones do, really. Obviously. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. This is normal. I, I just love how psychic abilities turn turns of phrase into literal phenomena. <laughs> <laughs> About this time, uh, you guys had taken pretty severe wounds. Uh, I believe Echo was basically on one leg. Doc was trying to keep your own armsmen in the fight uh, while blasting away with his sniper rifle. You had the Seneschal tricks. Um, he basically immediately cut down two orcs in like two swings and then had just a comedy of errors after that. Could not land a blow. And then Commissar Herc returns to the fight, uh, offering his chainsword to the battle, kind of reinforcing your lines himself since he's given up on trying to reform the PDF. So who ultimately took out the orc knob? Was it Flair? It was Flair, yeah. And what happened when he did that? Well, the fight ended. And you felt like, hey, we won. But we paid a really big cost. Yeah, everyone, for some unknown reason, just had this sinking feeling that somewhere in the galaxy, something terrible had just happened which is literally one of the results you can roll on the psychic phenomenon table. <laughs> it's just something bad happens somewhere. <laughs> which is really the worst thing that could have happened uh, this session, right? I mean, for us. For, for you guys, yeah. Uh, what actually happened was Commissar Herc went to reform the PDF and began executing their sergeants. 
under order 1090 craving cowardice and we'll find out how that went next week so this week we're talking about taking inspiration from history from actual fact um or at least yeah. <laughs> at least our accepted actual right. fact what has been written down right. as fact <laughs> Uh, this is kind of a continuation of episode 76, which we covered as adapting from other media. Uh, we were mostly focused on fiction and talking about sort of novelizations and TV shows and movies, but history is just a different agreed upon form of fiction if you think about it. Yeah. And sometimes stranger than fiction. Right. <laughs> as it were. <laughs> so there are three basic approaches to using those interesting tidbits you just watched on the History Channel. I'm oh, sorry. I mean, the Hitler Channel. <laughs> uh, to add to your games uh, you can copy you can invert or you can take inspiration so copying is doing things like uh, using the plot elements and details that you like so um, you know a serial killer is sending poetic letters to the newspaper and the city is terrified that is totally something you can do in Eberron right or you could do it in any kind of fantasy setting it could be at Battlestar Galactica on you know like different spaceships right yeah and i mean you know the jack the ripper story yeah like was imitated multiple times in history anyway right you can also invert this is uh in the case of history it's basically making an alternate history you know sort of those what if stories so you look at you know man on the high castle what would have what would happen if the germans had won world war ii yeah lots of philip k dick books actually <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah you can do this with pretty much anything you know um flipping anything around what if the black plague had started causing the human genome to mutate in sort of an x-men like way wow well <laughs> yeah what if <laughs> <laughs> and of course you can inspire just take the elements that you really like and change them in some way to make them fit into your game yeah so the wild west but with zombies so deadlands deadlands yeah, yeah. Well, even though Deadlands is probably more built on the fiction of the Wild West than the facts, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> I think this happens a lot with um, military campaigns as well. You you take the the campaign of, of Napoleon, right, and you transport that into, like, a sci-fi future. Um, you, can, you can follow the same kind of arc and that sort of stuff. Right. Or, you know, a, a small party holds a pass against overwhelming odds. Right, right. And that's always fascinating and relatively easy to translate into an rpg because usually you've only got four to six players anyway right or like uh, a trojan horse right like that that i mean that's what hackers do now like on a daily basis <laughs> so <laughs> yep uh how did you break into LexCore? oh we strangled their prophetess so no one was listening to her <laughs> okay you fast Obviously. forward fast forward fast forward <laughs> We got them to invite us in the front door and ambush them. <laughs> okay, so this, I think, is a discussion that's a lot more fun if we throw in some examples. Yeah, so let's take some cool events from history and figure out how to gamify them. Yeah, keeping in mind that, you know, tragedy plus time equals comedy slash cool. Well, yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some inspirational events from history. <laughs> Don't know that we gave enough time for the first one, then. <laughs> Ripped from the headlines. 
Yeah. Uh, Malaysia Airlines Flight 17, which is not the Malaysia Airlines flight you're thinking of. Uh, it's the it, it was a, a commercial airliner that was shot down in 2014 by uh, Russian separatists in Ukraine. Right. Not the one that got lost over the ocean. No, because we already did that one. That was the plot of Lost. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So what happened with Flight 17 is uh, Dutch investigators ended up tracking down the individual missile that shot down the flight um, and then identified like a hundred people who were involved in its sale and transport and use. Right. Some of whom were like, oh, yeah, we wanted to give pro-Russian separatists a missile that they could use. And others who were like, I don't know. I was just getting money. Right. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. I don't look at the package. As these things go, right, because it's because of the region it's in and because it's, you know, Eastern and Western Europe, um, intelligence agencies then started arguing over what had happened and what had gone on. So Russia claimed that the airliner was shot down by a Ukrainian jet <laughs> that was following the uh, the plane. Germany claimed that the missile was stolen from the Ukrainian army. Uh, the UK claimed that it was a Russian-owned missile, but controlled by Russian separatists. While all that was happening, the separatists themselves were posting on social media that same day and said that they had just shot down a military aircraft. Right. And then they were like, JK got hacked (laughs) because they realized they had shot down a commercial airliner. (laughs) Um, And then all of this, right, um, the victims here um, are, you know, obviously from multiple countries and, and multiple nationalities, which is why this was such an international incident. But Malaysian Airlines is a Malaysian company. So, uh, meanwhile, Malaysia goes to the UN and proposes a resolution that they set up a tribunal and prosecute those hundred people that Dutch investigators have identified. Uh, it wins a majority of the vote, and then Russia vetoes it. Hello, Security Council. Yeah, exactly. Interesting, because Russia was claiming that the airliner was shot on by a Ukrainian jet. Right. Why would Russia veto it? Right. Huh. So there's a lot of this where you're like, okay, everyone can see what the other, like everyone sees what every side is doing mm-hmm. here, right? Like the Germans are trying to keep things calm and, and the Americans and the UK are trying to uh, pin this on Russia and the Russians are trying to avoid an international incident and all these different things, right? So how do we take this incident and turn it into something that we can use for a game? I mean, the first thing I think of with all of this political intrigue and uh, different nations sort of pointing the finger at other nations in an already tense situation is, of course, Eberron. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at the five nations, now the 12 nations, right? And Karnath is saying it was probably on Dare, and on Dare is saying, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, the Thrains are the ones in control of this. And the Sirens are like, uh, well, don't look at us because we definitely didn't build that weapon. And House Caneth is like, doop doop doo Yeah, so is this, a, is this an airship or is this a lightning rail situation oh, interesting. for you? I think it depends on what kind of investigation you want to have take place and where it is that you're putting your party. Mm-hmm. Are they the investigators? Like, are they the Dutch investigators trying to physically go to the site? Yeah, they might be like part of House Madani then. Or, oh. or at least under contract from House Madani. Yeah, yeah, right? I like that. And then, um, you know, the Carnathies are like, uh, no, you don't have access. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not going to let you take a look at this because you know, we're taking care of it. Right. Or is the party like uh, high up politically and getting reports of, you know, whatever investigators are, are being stymied by the Carnathies and now having to uh, work through political machinations to, you know, keep the last war from breaking out again? Yeah, I like that's almost like a direct copy of what happened, right? And you're just taking the details of the event and and sort of mapping 
uh, each country to an entity in Eberron and playing it out the same way, right? And then seeing how the players are going to react and, and turn it on its head. I think I would take a little more inspirational approach uh, and, and wonder, why that airliner, right? What was, on, what was actually on that plane that the Russian separatists thought was so important that they had to shoot it down? Or worse, what was on the jet that they thought they were shooting down that now got to its destination? And for me, this makes me think of any type of like Cthulhu or Mythos or um, any type of like vampire or any type of supernatural kind of uh, element getting involved here, right? So you would take the the real world story, which is essentially like a tragedy of errors, mm-hmm. and then turn it into something that was um, malicious in the first place. Correct. Yeah, I like that. So so that it, it's not necessarily about what everyone is saying. It's about what's what's the real truth behind the truth that they see. Right. And so maybe it isn't that everyone is lying to cover up the truth is like maybe each of these parties doesn't actually know the truth right and only like <laughs> the stars beyond really get it right <laughs> <laughs> and you know the illuminati right right yeah i mean get into a full-on conspiracy right uh maybe maybe there was like one separatist colonel who understood the impact and he's dead and so you find his journal and now you're following a trail of clues that lead you to understand that there is some greater threat that was involved that either succeeded because they hit the wrong plane or was averted because they hit the right plane. And now they have to combat that threat and whatever its next move is. I mean, speaking of Cassandra and an unheeded prophetess, like if the party actually does uncover that, who's going to believe them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you're on your own. You got to solve yeah, I mean, You got to fix the world, man. That's welcome to being an RPG which, PC. Which is really what Cassandra should have done in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. You do something. Yeah. You know, pick up some armor. Right. Don't just tweet it <laughs> so, and then edit all your wrong tweets later. Oh, okay. Now I have a great idea for a game, right? It's Cassandra is like, well, I mean, Achilles isn't using this armor anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it fit Patroclus. So it'll probably fit me. Let's go fix some <laughs> No one's going to listen? Fine. No one needs to listen. <laughs> okay. I think we've gotten pretty far afield from our source material. <laughs> so inspired. So what's uh, what's our next real world history that we can draw some inspiration from? I think it's pretty common, uh, but the Manhattan Project, right? The scientists who developed the atomic bomb at the end of World War II. Well, not just the atomic bomb, though. Microwaves? Uh, yeah, microwaves, nuclear energy, nuclear subs. But really, the atomic bomb's the big one. The Large Hadron Collider, which is obviously <laughs> going to manifest Cthulhu himself. <laughs> they really need to hurry up. Yeah. Okay? Because obviously, like, whoever manifests Cthulhu first, if the Russians do it first, then, like, Cthulhu's on their side, just like Superman, right? Because if he lands in Russia, then he's totally going to be communist. So we're going to have, like, communist Cthulhu as opposed to, like, kind Kansan Cthulhu. Right. Right. That's how it works. That's how Cthulhu t- tends to work. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind and Kansan. That's how I think of Cthulhu. George and Martha Kent raised right. Cthulhu. <laughs> it's okay. We love you, even though you're right. an alien. Back to the Manhattan Project. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's a bunch of scientists. Uh, under... uh, your show notes here say nerds. A bunch of nerds. Yeah. Okay. A bunch of nerds. I'll say it. <laughs> Oppenheimer was a nerd uh, under the watchful gaze of government and military entities who kind of understood what was going on, but mm, kind of didn't. Kind of didn't. Yeah. Uh, across like a dozen laboratories in three countries, theorize and 
basically implement a new way of creating energy. I haven't done this pretty much ever, but I'm going to say I think this would work really well in the Forgotten Realms. Oh, it was like a magical experimentation? Uh, of the Red Wizards of Fae, right? Because they have people in so many different countries mm-hmm. operating and operating like apart from the country that they're in, right? You have like a Red Wizard outpost and no one really messes with them because like you don't want to get on Fae's bad side. Right. But what if they're all coordinating some massive investigation or like experiment yep uh which is exactly the kind of thing the red wizards would do because like you know they're cacklingly evil (laughs) right right yeah i like that uh i also so it has too too much of like a direct parallel i feel like for a lot of sci-fi stuff right like a pro a secret program to build a super weapon is a cliche at this point uh but i like the parallel for like dark sun with uh, King Kallik attempting to become like a dragon, mm-hmm. right? Like to complete his defiling to to become a dragon, and this being the experimentation, right? This this being how he conducted his research in, into understanding the rituals necessary to complete his apotheosis. Yeah, I like the idea that all of the Templars working on this and working on separate parts of it don't actually know what the final end goal is or right. they're they've been lied to and told that there's a different end goal they don't know that it's kill everyone in the city and like rise to godhood right yeah they like i could totally see this as being like if you take all the other the positive effects of the manhattan project outside of the atomic bomb right like so you think of nuclear power and uh like the research that was done as a result of the large Hadron collider and those mm-hmm. types of things like that could be templars working to uh, create water right to understand the create water spell mm-hmm. <laughs> like as simple as that like develop a third level spell that doesn't exist in Athos, and then that same research being used to also create the ritual that leads to uh calyx ascension right actual alchemy like forget gold right yeah gold is we want iron gold is dumb <laughs> <laughs> i'll settle for lead <laughs> Uh, the other place that, that makes me think of it, and probably just because I've been reading it recently, is Birthright. Um, like experimenting with blood magic uh, and, and like realm spells and all of those things, like developing new magic around that, I think is a good parallel as well. I am sure the Gorgon has deep underground, like chambers full of blooded people that he's raising like cattle. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Breathe these two lines together. Um, well, kill this baby. You know, that increases my power a little bit. Kill this other baby. Oh, but now you're last of the line, huh? Right. Now I'm going to milk this for a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, what about inverting it? Like, what if we did a modern setting, but some way to, like, end all war that was not violent? I guess that's kind of the Firefly thing, right? I was actually, yeah, was exactly what I was going to say is it needs to backfire in some way. What if it doesn't? What if it just strips free will? How does that work with having a, a party that has agency? I guess it could be something that they discover or happen upon. Right, right. Um, like it doesn't backfire. It's going to work exactly as intended, but that's bad oh, for the PCs. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's the Naruto thing, actually. Oh, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> it's always bad when I'm tracking anime. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's great. Like the the end goal is to like basically hypnotize everybody on the planet. Oh. So that, you know, everyone is like happy and living in this dream world. Right. And the goal, of course, is to stop that because we don't want everyone happy. 
Hashtag Madara did nothing wrong. So how do we make the game out of that then? What are the what are the players doing? They're they're trying to prevent this scheme from working. I would think so. Although that does sort of get into it's an opportunity for some philosophical debate. Because what if you have some people in the party who are like, wait, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Or then you get those like evil party members who are like, wait a minute, what if we just end up in control of it? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, what if we're the ones who escape? <laughs> <laughs> or what if we, yeah, insinuate ourselves into the programming of whatever this alternate real- reality is going to be? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, we're just awesome in it. It's uh, what, Cypher from the Matrix? I want to be rich. Oh, right. Put me back in, but I want to be rich. (laughs) Uh, And then, of course, other kinds of inversions. uh, I think is one of the explanations for the day of mourning in Eberron, obviously, is like they tried the Manhattan Project and they totally screwed it up. Right. And like it went off in their faces. I guess that's one of the like six potentially canonical explanations, right? (laughs) But 100% of our explanation in Morning Glory. (laughs) Okay, here's another idea for it. What if the Manhattan Project was just the cover for some other research that was going on, right? They could justify it as we're building an atomic bomb to end the war, but they were actually researching what? Interdimensional travel, any sort of those like occult or weird science things I think works really well. Oh, so they were trying, America was trying to leave the world. They're like, forget you. We're out. out. (laughs) Peace. (laughs) Somehow that makes America worse than Hitler. (laughs) Yeah, we're tired of fighting this. We literally turned away Jewish refugees. (laughs) "Ah, ah, ah, No, back you go. It makes a lot of sense to me that America would be like, eh, we're just gonna, we're gonna teleport the whole country to the moon. Yeah, well, we'll have plenty of cheese, I guess. (laughs) We hadn't, we hadn't been there yet. We didn't know. Space race wouldn't come for 10 more years. You're right. We had no idea what was up there. Oh, 20 more years. Yeah. It could have been cheese. Yeah, no, but I, I like that. I like the idea that um, this is like a secret government agency that is trying to get America out of Earth. And, you know, the rest of the government is trying to win the war, right? So you could be government agents fighting government agents um, and and have that moral quandary of, do we escape this ourselves and and go set up our own whatever, wherever? Or are we now, like, are we dooming us to complete this war, which is obviously at a great human cost to everybody? Mm-hmm. Another thing I really like about the Manhattan Project is, is sort of having the Manhattan Project as a as a backdrop because... Of course, the Germans at the same time were trying to develop their own atomic bomb. Yeah, but they were digging up like ancient Egyptian artifacts and trying <laughs> to use magic to build it. But maybe it. that works in your game, right? <laughs> That's true, yeah. But the other thing I really like, though, is all of these stories about um, like British and like Norwegian special forces who are basically like sneaking in, destroying uh, heavy water refinement capabilities um, that the Germans were building up. Right, right. right. Like, they couldn't make deuterium. Yep. So like they couldn't get the fuel to make the bomb. Right. I really love the idea of the this kind of stealth mission, right, which is attached to the Manhattan Project. Maybe even you have a scientist who is working on the Manhattan Project because they need to understand exactly how you need to sabotage this. Oh, yeah. Because maybe you don't want to blow up the refinement. Right. You want them to be chasing down, like, the wrong path. Exactly. Right? Like, you want them to ultimately fail. But, like, take two or three years to fail. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Or, like, not even realize that they're going to fail. Not get a chance to pivot. Yeah, exactly. 
So I love the idea of like insinuating a, a scientist so into it. What system would you use for that? Because that is that that doesn't even have a fantasy like paranormal kind of aspect to it, right? That could be just a, a straight up hard science like GURPS game. Yeah, like totally. a D twenty modern game could handle that. Though you wouldn't want to play D twenty modern. <laughs> so so what system would you use? Oh man, like a, a hard sci game. I, I think maybe Knights Black Agents. If you stripped out yeah. the vampires, you know what would actually would be really good is Fantasy Flight's new system. Oh, right. Is it out yet? No, and it doesn't have a release. I guess it's going to be towards the end of the year. But it's it's the genericized Star Wars system, right? So it uses the action dice and all that stuff uh, for its system, but it's not attached to Star Wars as an IP. Right, and like I think it's modular, so like you can have magic or things like that, but you right. certainly don't need to. Right. Yeah. So I think that that might be a good way to to get the like kind of swashbuckling high adventure of you know six people sneaking in behind Nazi lines. Mm-hmm. Um, with also sort of the modern trappings being fully present. If you wanted to play it right now, you could do straight up with Edge of the Empire and just be like, no force. Or, I mean, you could turn it into a Star Wars plot too. Oh, yeah, fine, right? totally. I mean, that's uh-huh. the it's... Death Star laser, right? Or the Death Star third edition laser it's or whatever. It's Jyn Erso's dad, right? Yeah. He's I... like, I must build this to destroy it. <laughs> I, I guess they kind of already did that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I think there might be other options. Yeah, <laughs> Couldn't you just sabotage the work? <laughs> I don't know. Shoot yourself in the head? Yeah. <laughs> you know you die at the end of this, right? Like, <laughs> Didn't you read the script? There's no out for you. <laughs> First movie came out 40 years ago, and you're not in it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's no Jenner says dad, hero of the rebellion. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think we're done with that. What What's a an extremely corrupt period in history that we could maybe take some inspiration from? How about Boss Tweed and Tammany Hall? I don't think it gets much more corrupt than that. <laughs> no, I, he pretty much <laughs> set the standard. <laughs> so Boss Tweed is uh, easily one of the most corrupt politicians in U.S. history. So far. Thus far. Give yeah. it some time. So he ran Tammany Hall, which is a political machine of the Democratic Party in New York City from, I, I guess it actually stretches back to probably like the 1700s, but uh, he ran it from like 1858 to 1871 when he died. And basically, like, if you've seen Gangs of New York, that's what he fostered. He rose to power by empowering immigrant groups to wage violence against each other. And vote for his guys. Um, and so through this kind of corrupt political machine, um, he siphoned a ton of money from the city and the state into his own private coffers as well as his henchmen and kind of ran the city and I guess probably made some improvements to it. But man, did it come at a huge cost. He didn't get away with his scot-free, though. He was imprisoned multiple times, uh, but he did have literally millions of dollars to pay bail with. In 1870. <laughs> That's like steel money. That's yeah. Like, that's like <laughs> Rockefeller money. <laughs> uh, but he was ultimately cor- convicted of corruption, uh, obviously, um, and then you know abandoned by his political allies, and and the whole Tammany Hall machine fell apart due to the intervention of a, a small party of adventurers, probably. <laughs> yeah, likely. <laughs> so he ends up serving jail time. I think he was like sentenced to twelve years and ended up only having to serve one which if that isn't like your last 
political appointment was the judge who reduced yeah. <laughs> your, your sentence. Uh, but anyway, so then he's released, and then New York State comes after him um, civilly for the damages that he caused from the corruption, right? So, and they're only like seeking like a couple million dollars, which is super funny. Yeah, yeah is that like, all? He's already paid like ten million in bail, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, you got three more for us." Um, anyway, so apparently at the time you would go to jail if you were pending civil litigation. So he ends up back in jail and was now out of money to post his bail. So he just waited. Until they let him go home. Yeah, so this is the this is where it gets crazy, right? So most corrupt politician in, in U.S. history, certainly to that point, uh, gets home release from his jail sentence. And so he's allowed home visitation. And so he just skips out one day and goes to Spain. Just by America. Where he gets a job on a boat. Yeah, so he gets on a, uh, like a Spanish, he, he just becomes like a common sailor on a Spanish vessel. Uh until he is recognized from a political cartoon and then uh, seized at the border and extradited back to the U.S. where he dies in jail from pneumonia. <laughs> like, Okay, so if you're going to use this as inspiration for your game, tone it down. Yeah, this is like the truth is too <laughs> crazy, right? This, this is like Cardinal Richelieu kinds of like crazy coincidence. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can look at this and be like, oh, okay, I see. End of the first arc. He's convicted of corruption, goes to jail. Time skip. Yeah. <laughs> Begin next arc. Wait, he's gone? <laughs> Where could he possibly be? Yeah, I I like that uh to gamify this if the players are working for him. Right? So it, it's a boss tweet figure is their boss and and maybe they don't fully understand his game. Or maybe they do and they hate it, but there's no choice. Right. They could be they could be strong-armed because of allegiances to somebody who owes him something right mm-hmm. that's the nature of corruption mm-hmm. unfortunately or maybe it's the only way to get anything done yeah it could be a greater good situation but yeah so so that first arc right is is helping to ensure he gets his comeuppance and then the second arc starts with uh he's gone yeah crap <laughs> <laughs> i like because i like challenges uh to invert this to make it so that boss tweet is the misunderstood good guy okay he had to do all of this. Like you said, greater good. There was some sort of terrible event that he was preventing or that all of this political maneuvering was preventing. Oh, okay. I I can totally see this going in a mythos direction again where it's like, um, like he's preventing some mimetic combination mm. that leads to the manifestation of an elder god or something. I like that. Um, given the time period, right? We're looking at like in mid to late 1800s. I also like the idea of some sort of resurgence of the Confederacy. Where, like mm. the Civil War has just ended, but somehow through political maneuvering or whatever, like um, old con- Confederates or people who like are, are loyal to the this lost cause have found a way to insinuate themselves in into like the political machine of the north. Well, I, actually this would make sense within context. Like they're the reason that reconstruction went so poorly. Oh, so you so so it was southern agents who sabotaged reconstruction to make reconstruction worse for the south. I mean reconstruction was bad in so many ways, right? Yeah. But it it didn't accomplish what it was trying to do in actually like bettering the lives of freed slaves or improving the infrastructure of the south right Right, so why is it that that happened i don't know maybe that was 
the quote unquote better outcome or or maybe it was the broken eggs that were required from preventing some other even worse outcome like a second civil war or an entire resurgence of you know an army in richmond okay so what game system are you running this in <laughs> because <laughs> uh deadlands i think it has to be it has oh, to be okay. deadlands oh so take it as like a it's a it's a weird west manifestation of this i don't even think it would need to be that weird but deadlands has all of the trappings yeah, that you can use yeah. for it it's a good political rpg hill folk <laughs> I, don't do, know, I don't know do we works. need to write one yeah <laughs> that's it we're gonna write a political rpg <laughs> about confederate agents sabotaging <laughs> reconstruction to prevent the resurgence of the south brilliant <laughs> We will redeem Boss Tweed. Right. <laughs> with, with Boss Tweed as a tragic hero. <laughs> 50 years from now, someone will be writing this about Trump. Oh, oh no, he was trying to prevent Cthulhu. Right, right. Yeah, he was trying to stop the prophecy from coming true. All right, so let's take this out of uh, out of its historical context and move it into sort of a, a different setting, right? So how could we adapt this for... Um, a fantasy setting right like wh- what was in, in fantasy settings what's the what's the parallel for that type of political corruption probably the thieves guild that actually runs the city oh uh, okay um i keep bringing it back to eberron but if you think about it, in stormreach on zendrick right there is the well that's because eberron has a very modern right aesthetic mm-hmm. for a fantasy setting so uh, the city is ostensibly ruled by a, a council of uh, five storm lords i think mm-hmm. um each one from like a different faction but some of them are just puppets uh, uh whereas others have actually sort of risen to power because they're they're good at the maneuvering um but i think it wouldn't have to be Stormreach. It could be almost any kind of fantasy city has this like deep underground that is full of money and goods and uh, opportunities for blackmail. Mm-hmm. Um, how well known was the Tammany Hall machine? Do you remember? Well, I mean, Tammany Hall is a public organization, right? Like they're. How well known was like the depths of the corruption? I, I think that's sort of what makes Boss Tweed a charming figure with, you know, 150 years of, of separation right is that like he was so brazen in it mm-hmm. like everyone knew it was happening but they couldn't pin anything on him because of the loyalty that he had from his machine yeah so i then i love the head of the thieves guild who is open about it that's not a trope you usually get like usually it's oh i pulled the strings from from the shadows and no one knows who i actually am but i like the idea that yeah i'm the head of the thieves guild what are you gonna do about it uh, so yeah, you almost get like a mafia kind of a, li- a little right? bit, yeah. right? But like someone who's tried to a made man who has tried to uh, join high society, yeah, yeah, you know, and probably has done a pretty good job of it because like sort of like the nouveau riche, you know, like I've got money to throw around. I I paid three million dollars for bail. I sure as hell can throw a good party, right? Like yeah. like a, almost a Gatsby esque party yep. fifty years before that was a thing. Oh yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, so then I guess as. As a game, then, um, you would set the adventurers either as young up-and-comers in a rival organization trying to fight against this machine or within the Thieves' Guild itself as the Thieves' Guild's agents trying to, um, I guess, probably upend just out of their own greed, right? Yeah, a lot of different ways, depending on what your party wants to do. Like, does your party want to 
bring down Boss Tweed, mm. that is certainly something you can do over a, a campaign. Yeah. But maybe they want to usurp him, uh, or maybe maybe he is so high up that you can't touch him. He's like a background NPC, or even an NPC that they have interactions with, but the game, like the scale of the game is small enough that he's sort of one of the immovable objects you need to maneuver around within this landscape. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, so so hear me out. Mm. So Birthright has that higher political scale, right? Mm-hmm. So because you are regents in Birthright, um, this is a rival regent within a city. Like the the territory that he controls is just a city state, but he's incredibly entrenched and in, against the royal writ of the land. Um, and you there's something in the city that you want. See, so you have to dismantle him piece by piece. You have to follow the rules in order to do it, right? Because because you have to stay in the king's good graces, and he's funding the king's parties. Yeah, and mechanically speaking, like he's got regency points. Right, people believe in him. People are supporting him. Right in birthright like the land might even be supporting him yeah he could be blooded even. Uh-huh. yeah oh yeah that makes a that makes for a great rival in birthright yeah especially if you're not blooded or you are blooded but not to this land yeah oh man so he would have like he'd have to be a fighter right because you'd want that law you want really strong law and mm. then and then probably like a cleric as well so we can cast realm spells <laughs> well one realm spells and, and two so that you can have the the loyalty <laughs> oh man yeah that's that's a bbg right there yeah that's oh man now now i want to play that <laughs> <laughs> what about his escape like I, I love the comeuppance part and like the the silly coincidence that leads to his downfall uh how can we use that for a game to me it smacks of a game that moves beyond its initial parameters so the idea is take down boss tweed mm-hmm. you know but that's probably something that that happens you know in like a six month or one year campaign but everyone still really likes playing these characters they don't feel like the story's done yet so rather than him dying he escapes how do i use like oh they he got recognized from his political cartoon right complete coincidence <laughs> Right. Okay, that feels a little bit like Deus Ex Machina, right? Yeah, it's like, right. Oh, so that's how, you, how we got him. Political it, cartoon. Well, so how do you do that to the players in a way that doesn't feel that way, right? Where, like, because because to me, what what that is is that his reputation had grown so vast that he could no longer hide, right? I think if you're going to have that kind of almost coincidence, then it needs to be um, either the player's idea or a result of some scheme the players had, right? Like an excellent lore role or the result of some sort of role that might be unexpected uh, but it needs to be directed by them in some manner otherwise it just sort of feels like you're throwing this out there and saying oh yeah you won because of something that could never really happen what if you do it to the players so they're recognized like like eclipse phase (laughs) right so our characters in eclipse phase uh if i recall quinn is a walking billboard for another one of our characters true and live streams all of his actions uh, to like his Eclipse Phase esque YouTube channel mm-hmm. for his adoring fans. Take that right. You go to a new place where where you haven't necessarily been before, where there's no reason that anybody would know anything about you, but because you've brought this, you know, YouTube star, <laughs> <laughs> like what you thought was going to be a quick and subtle 
kind of insert uh, extraction is now very complicated because you've got throngs of adoring fans in a land you've never been before. Yeah, that you didn't expect. Okay, we're going to go incognito. Everyone, like, lay low. Uh-oh, there's a crowd at the docks meeting us. Why? Why? Right, what's oh, no. going on? The, why are they holding up posters of our faces? Yeah, exactly. Are those, wanted, those aren't wanted posters. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, we're big in Japan? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that idea, especially especially as the characters kind of grow, um, like, as they level up or, or gain more experience or gain more renown. Right, that that becomes one of the costs is that they they can't hide. Yeah, I like that if they were in a thieves guild and maneuvering through the thieves guild, that even just being in proximity to Boss Tweed, or you know whether you're challenging him or whether you're working for him, like you're in the background of newspaper photos. Mm-hmm. You know, um, people begin to notice when you're on the scene because that means that like Boss Tweed's doing something, right? It's not punishing the party for their success. It's it's presenting complications for success. Right. Or encouraging them to not enjoy all the benefits <laughs> of that success. <laughs> it's a triumph with two threat. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Shane, to be honest, when I am writing a campaign or trying to figure out, okay, what's going to happen in this next session... Um, probably at least half the time I am drawing from something that I either like know from history because, you know, nothing is new uh, or I am pulling it from some other media that probably also pulled it from that history. Also from yeah. History, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same here. And then, I mean, like you said, we, we had an example with the Manhattan Project that was already the plot of Naruto. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I think I think an important thing for for using games is that players can recognize the touchstone of history and, and sort of that, that can help them feel like they understand what's going on. And then as you play with their expectations and, and invert or copy or you know, just sort of take the inspiration like on different elements of it, they don't know what's going on, but they still feel comfortable in what the parameters of an adventure or a situation or a plot are. Yeah, it's a nice shorthand when you can explain the outline of the situation and they in their brains, even if they don't say it out loud, like subconsciously we know most of this history and you go, oh, I get it. Yeah, okay. It's like that. You don't have to go through all of the details. Right. And then when individual elements change, it's a nice and interesting surprise. Keeps your party on their toes. Exactly. Do you hear that, Ishan? Donde está la biblioteca? All right, so Ishan is brushing up on his Spanish, undoubtedly for an escape. We're going to move on to the character creation forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrillcast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are dipping back into history a little bit further than Boss Tweed and looking at Blackbeard. A guy who actually lived and actually existed. A famous pirate. Man, do people disagree, though, on what he actually did. (laughs) Okay, so Blackbeard is the prototypical pirate of the West Indies from, like, the late 17th and early 18th centuries. Uh, He commanded the Queen Anne's Revenge 
and uh, famously formed an alliance of pirates that successfully blockaded Charleston, South Carolina, which was the biggest port in the South at the time. He has this reputation uh, for conducting piracy as a transaction and then being exceptionally violent, often just for the sake of violence. However, according to some historians, he would offer terms of surrender and then never harmed captives if they actually did surrender. Yeah, so he, he kind of had, the, like, he grew this fearsome reputation and then used his reputation to avoid having to do the things he gained the reputation for, right? Like, he would, when when he flew his flag, ships would just surrender and he was like, great, I don't have to kill anybody today, right? Like, he wasn't just a savage, he was a businessman. Although sometimes he was like, uh, let's start off with a broadside just so that we know we, we mean business. Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> I'm a pirate. Yeah, I mean, like, we're not, we're not going <laughs> to shy away from a fight. <laughs> Again, how apocryphal this is, no one's really sure. But he was known for his fearsome visage, like a giant, very long, very bushy black beard. And he would uh, put fuses soaked in saltpeter in his hair and then light them. So there would just be billowing smoke everywhere. A British naval officer called it demonic. Mm, charming. Uh, he ended up actually being pardoned <laughs> once. He, t- he accepted a royal <laughs> pardon to stop piracy and then decided, now life's more fun when you're a pirate. Maybe that's because he was in North Carolina and bored. Yeah, probably. All right. So what is the build? We're going to take Totem Barbarian 14, Swashbuckler Rogue 3, and Champion Fighter 3. So Barbarian makes sense to me here because he has this reputation for being sort of like a reckless Mm -hmm. uh, fighter who sort of like didn't give any heed to blood or entrails on the deck. Yeah, and he would leap into the breach and, you know, uh, fight with his cutlass and his pistol. Yeah, I think in his last battle, uh, his ship ran aground and then... I think it was like militia probably. Yeah, yeah. in a naval boat. They like essentially are like coming after them and then it's the pirates who pull out the grappling hooks and like conduct the boarding action. Right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Totem Barbarian will take Wolf at level three. That grants your allies an advantage versus creatures within five feet of you. Uh, We'll take eagle at level six that (laughs) that means he doesn't even need that looking glass you know um he he can he can see to the horizon just fine he sees your colors he knows who you are scanning the high seas yeah Yeah. um and then at 14 uh bear will give enemies disadvantage if they don't attack you uh so you're so terrifying they they must cut you down it's important to know that we're not taking what we usually take at three which is bear totem because he's already getting a historically accurate resistance to like weapon damage. Right. But he's not resistant to, you know, fire Spells. and lightning and, <laughs> <Yeah>. right, and <laughs> magic. Also, keep in mind, he was only really a pirate for like two years. Yeah. And then he got killed. Very short career. <laughs> turns out piracy. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I mean, as a level 14 barbarian, you get um, great high level benefits. You get things like Relentless Rage and uh, Brutal Critical, which will give you an extra two dice on a crit. Yeah, he's still tough to take down. Relentless Rage is uh, when reduced to zero hit points. You make a con saving throw with an increasing DC. And if you succeed, you don't drop. You stay at one hit point. Right. When he was killed, it turns out uh, he had been... They examined the body. He'd been shot five times and cut about 20 times. (laughs) That sounds about right. 
Uh, naturally, we'll also take that swashbuckler, so you'll always have 2d6 sneak attack available because Barbarian gives you reckless attack, so you can grant yourself advantage. You won't provoke opportunity attacks uh, when you attack a creature. Um, you, you get easier ways to uh, generate your sneak attack. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you'll get charisma to initiative, which helps with those boarding actions. Which you'll also be rolling with advantage because you're a barbarian. So you'll you'll go first <laughs> if you want it. And you'll get two expertises. Obviously, we're taking intimidation. And then probably either persuasion, maybe deception, depending on how much you feel like uh, the legend of Blackbeard matches the actual reality of Blackbeard. Right. From Fighter, we'll pick up a fighting style, probably two weapons, you know, double cutlasses or something like that. Yep. Uh, And then Champion's probably the easiest that matches really well with the Barbarian's Brutal Critical as well as your extra attacks from uh, two-weapon fighting. Although you can take Battlemaster if you want a few maneuvers. Yeah, Battlemaster is going to feel more like... um blackbeard the the common man's pirate right like uh the legend of blackbeard is that he was uh democratically elected by the men on his ship to lead them he wasn't he didn't force them into into working with him or anything like that so um you know he could be that kind of brilliant tactician who leads from the front as well he can also just be the frothing at the mouth yeah (laughs) pirate if you want up to you (laughs) Um, and so one thing to note here is that this will be a barbarian who is using a scimitar <laughs> because you need a finesse weapon to trigger your sneak attack, uh, even if you're attacking with strength. Which to me is the closest analog for a cutlass that we've got, so right. it makes sense. Right. And also easy to hold in your teeth if necessary. Indeed. <laughs> and then at uh, at high level, right, you'll be making two attacks per round with your main hand, uh, bonus action to attack with your offhand. Mm-hmm. Uh, any of those will crit on a 19 or 20, and if they do, you'll roll. Scimitar would be d6. d6. Mm-hmm. So that's 2d6 for the crit, uh, 4d6 for the sneak attack, and then an extra 2d6 for brutal critical. But that's a that's a satisfying fistful of dice. Yeah. <laughs> so Shane, tell me about your Blackbeard. Well, my Blackbeard, obviously, is an airship pirate in Eberron. That makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Blackbeard is enough of a great character <laughs> that you could just take his mannerisms and, and ethos. Mm. Um, so, I, yeah, I would. It's it, for me, it's about where do you set him, right? Like, wh- what type of piracy is he conducting? So, I like airship pirate or lightning rail train robber in Eberron. I like airship pirate because it... it takes walking the plank to like a totally new level right yeah (laughs) don't even have to weigh them down from up here (laughs) how about your blackbeard so my blackbeard is basically the leader of a marauding band in a post-apocalyptic wasteland okay you know driving around looking for gasoline yeah some guzzling (laughs) Uh, this works either in like a Mad Max type setting right. or fantasy settings work really well too. Like I'm thinking of, uh, they're all writing like individual giant eagles. Oh, okay. You know, um, and then attacking, for example, your airship, you know, just trying to conduct normal commerce. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea in a, like a traditional RPG party setting that like it's more difficult to say, okay, like we're, we're manning a ship and there are like three different ships in this um, small fleet that we have, right? right? Instead that it's more like the train robbers, whereas we're all on a horse. 
Oh, you know? yeah. And there's yeah. like six or seven of us, and you know, one person is going to take out the the conductor, and then we board from there. You right. know, um, you're like riding these eagles, and then you can either swoop in and attack regular caravans, and then just fly away, and no one can follow you, or actually attacking other like flying prey, like dragons bringing their their loot back to their horde. <laughs> <laughs> How are six eagles going to take out a dragon? That would actually be pretty cool, though, figuring out how to do that. Yeah. Right? It would need to be extremely coordinated. Yeah. yeah. I, I like th- This is my new campaign. <laughs> You're each on an eagle. Don't <laughs> fall. Right. <laughs> Strap in. <laughs> it reminds me of, what was that terrible Christian Bale movie? Rain of Fire? Rain of Fire, yeah. Yeah. With, like, what are the the angels? Was that it? What do they call them? The They, like literally like paratrooped out of the helicopter and then like took down the dragon yeah i don't sorry i don't remember either but (laughs) i I barely saw that movie it was a cool concept execution yeah all right if you want to support the show the best way to do that is to become one of our patrons visit patreon.com slash total party thrill to get access to extra content tpt merchandise and some dubious rewards so if you find that you can spare an extra five dollars a month or so please consider giving it to Partners in Health. That's Paul Farmer's famously effective international relief organization. But after that, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every week. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about playing as a team. And in the character creation forge, we're building the Rainmaker. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I did not put two and two together before I read that. (laughs) That's it for episode 104, Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.